I'm super happy. Are you happy? Welcome to the BU Find Happy Podcast. Here you'll find tips and tricks to inspire you on your way to happiness, to live a courageous life of authenticity, and learn how to speak your truth with grace. I'm Michaela Johnson, and welcome to our podcast. Thank you for tuning into this podcast. If you are new here, you will find all things fun, hippie, woo-woo, and metaphysical, plus happiness. I just can't tell you enough how much I appreciate you tuning into the show every week, and I try to bring you the most fabulous guests imaginable. If you are craving more happiness after listening to this podcast, check out BUFindHappy.com, where you'll find all sorts of tangible tools, tips, tricks, and resources to incorporate more happiness in your life. Learn to speak your truth with grace and live a courageous life of authenticity. And remember, if you like this podcast, please click subscribe. You find happy podcast. So happy to have you on today. And I I have to preface by saying we are getting an incredible storm here in Northern California. And so the rain and the wind has been so loud. Uh, Mother nature at her finest is absolutely beautiful, but this may affect our recording today. So hopefully the listeners can listen past that. And I hope so too. Thanks for having me. And hey, you know what? If uh, one more force of nature is on this podcast with us, it can't hurt that much. You know, it's, it sounds beautiful to be in something like that. I bet you want to run out there or, or just be listening at this point. But I'll be, I'm glad that we'll connect and share some good stuff for your audience. Yeah, absolutely. Last night I was sitting in our hot tub and uh, big wind gusts, like 38 miles an hour, were kicking up. And all of a sudden um, we're surrounded by pines and I heard this big crack in the forest. And I was like, get out, get out, get out. <laughs> so it, it, you know it gets to the point where you just realize how how small you are in the big scheme mm. of mother nature for sure yeah um, i feel you on that can you tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and all that you've got going on sure absolutely so um i understand that this is a podcast that's got a lot of female listeners or women female identifying women identifying listeners and i'm actually a coach that works with men I work with men to help them get more lit up about their life, more passionate, more excited, more disciplined, more authentic, and really going after their their full self, their creativity, their sensitivity, their soulfulness, as well as some of that masculine edge of getting stuff done uh, and being bold in the world, making stuff happen and being protective and powerful, et cetera. So that is what I do, what I'm about. Uh, I own the, the company Drop the Armor Wellness. And, uh, you know, I've got quite a story that got me here. If you want to go into that, we can. Otherwise, we can just jump right into some questions and other content as well. Well, I know that some of the things I'm really looking forward to talking about, one of them is mastering courageous conversations because, you know, this podcast is all about learning how to speak your truth with grace. But uh, and, and I have some, you know, some kind of powerful thoughts on that. But before we do that, yeah, could you share how you got to where you are as kind of a life coach and yeah. and all things mentor? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, essentially, I had a pretty great life growing up in many, many, many ways. I am from the D- I live in D.C. right now. I grew up in the D.C. suburbs with a, with a loving family. My parents are together, two sisters, you know, middle class. We had lots and lots and lots and lots of comfort and 
ease if you look at the global perspective of what people are challenged with in the world. And my parents really fulfilled us with a lot of love and encouragement, but at the same time, tons of mixed messaging because the way they related to each other, to themselves, to the world, there was a lot of bickering, outright emotional abuse, lots of fighting, and both of them lived through the scarcity lens. Like my mom, she treated me and my sisters like literally the, the gift from God, right? The most precious thing in the world. But she held on to those gifts for dear life and she was afraid of everything, you know, in a nice suburban safe neighborhood. She had me call when I'd go like two doors down to my friend's house or she'd watch me or we couldn't play in the woods. We couldn't go to the mall. And my dad, he's an amazing story. You know, he came out of poverty in Brooklyn, in New York, and he got himself into a position where he made a good six figure income with the government for me and my family. But the guy acted like he could never have time or energy or money for himself. Everything was just sacrificed to the family. And he always felt like we didn't have enough. I mean, the guy, when my mom got really into health stuff in the 90s, I don't know if everyone remembers the big juice phase in the 90s where everyone's getting juicers and it was like the hottest thing. My I feel mom like would, that's still a thing. Is that yeah, still a thing? <laughs> no, it still is a thing. But like, I remember, oh, something, I remember something happened where there was some guy, and I can't remember his name, but he went for the juice man. And he, he became really popular on infomercials and everybody started buying juicers at that point. It's certainly still a thing. I do juice cleanses every few years or so. But but she would make these giant juices for me, uh, you know, with all of this, this beautiful produce. And my dad, again, six-figure guy. We live in a, a nice four-bedroom house. We went to Disney World twice when I was growing up. The guy would eat the pulp from the juice machine with hot sauce because he couldn't stand to, to waste money, right? So everything that was modeled for me really had to do a lot with scarcity and challenge. And there was real emotional, um, emotional stuckness, emotional constipation, as I call it, from both my parents. The stuff was either flowing in emotional diarrhea and they were fighting and bickering or there was, they were like kind of emotionally constipated. They were holding it in, repressing it, denying it. And so, my family, I'm really lucky. We, we didn't gamble. We didn't drink. We didn't do drugs. But we numbed out with TV and with food. So I'm a guy that by the time I was in elementary school, we were already on diets. I was already what doctors were calling obese. And every time I went to the doctor, they really didn't care if I had a sore throat or strap. Or it was just, you know, the kids got to lose weight. Wow. And yeah. And so there's so much weight hate out in the world right now. And there has been. It's getting better and better the last decade or so. But really, people don't treat those that are overweight, quote unquote, or obese the same. They're tre we're treated as less than very often. And on top of that, I had some learning disabilities. Now, again, in a, in a really high performing suburb of D.C., we're like, Everyone was going to Ivy League schools and such after college, I mean, after high school. And, and, and so many people were really successful. Intellect was the thing that was important and being good at school was important. So I'm a guy with learning disabilities. I'm a guy who's twice the weight of other kids. And so I started taking on not just these messages of scarcity from my parents, the way they behaved, not just these messages of like love and relationship. It's full of anger and bickering and resentment. But I also kept taking on all of this messaging from the world, people in school, coaches, counselors, teachers, of course, other kids, that something was wrong with me, that I was less than. So the way it goes is, you know, we create 
we, we create based on what we believe. I imagine you know that many of your listeners do. And so by the time I was 17, I was well over 300 pounds. I believed I would always be that way. By the time I, you know, at the same time, I also believed that I would never do good in school. So I couldn't possibly have a career I loved and I couldn't possibly make good money. And I really thought that I'd always be overweight and I'd probably die early from obesity. And because the world really shows us that overweight people are not quote unquote attractive or, or lovable, as you might say, I really thought I could never do well when it came to love and women and that I would be alone. So I just embodied these ideas that like my, my I'm just mediocre and I shouldn't even try. So I never asked girls out on a date. I never worked hard to try and like study for, for school. I only applied to two colleges because like from where I'm from, that's what you're supposed to do. I just didn't have any vision. So fast forward, I, I stumbled into a good life. Like I really did. I, I found myself uh, at a point where besides my physical health, I was doing pretty well. I dropped out of college eventually after a couple of years. I got myself into a career in retail and sales and service that I really excelled in. And so by the time I'm 28, I also stumbled into a marriage and I was married. I had a good job that paid me pretty well and that I really enjoyed and was passionate about. And things were good. We were traveling well. We had our hobby. We like fostered and trained pit bulls together and things felt good. But the truth was I was always hiding. I was staying comfortable in my career. I was just naturally good at it and I wasn't applying myself. I wasn't speaking truth at all to my ex. And in fact, I got into that relationship and held on for dear life because I just thought I could no one else would love me. So we created this kind of a toxic codependent mess, as I know many people do, unfortunately, because we're not taught skills about how to be in relationship. We're not taught how to love ourselves so we can love others. And before I knew it, that life that I thought was better than I could have imagined for myself when I was young, it fell apart. I started getting stagnant in my career. I lost passion. And if I don't have passion, I'm not a very active and excited guy. I'm not very high performing. My ex-wife, obviously, I just tipped you off of the story, came in one day and said she wants us to go to couple therapy, but she thinks she's one foot out the door. Hmm. So here I am, 31 years old. I've done a little bit better for myself health-wise, but I'm still close to 300 pounds. I'm 10 years into a career that I was good at, but I already realized I'm kind of bored. I'm losing passion. And the person who I thought I'd be with forever, even though we fought all the time and even though I didn't speak up for myself and I kind of swallowed my pride all the time, uh, I thought I was happy. And she's walking in the door and saying, like, I'm not happy. This is going to end. So as the story goes, we go to couples therapy. It only took us about four or five months to separate once we got into that process. And I remember sitting there thinking like, well, gosh, life can just fall apart at this point. You know, I, I could just gain more weight and be unhealthy. I could stay stuck in a retail career the rest of my life. I remember thinking like, will I ever kiss a woman again? You know, I didn't have too many people I dated and too many girlfriends growing up. So I was sitting there at this precipice of like, almost giving up. Um, but something happened. I, uh, we had been given some relationship books by that couples therapist and it didn't save our marriage, but it saved my life.
it didn't save the marriage. It did save my life because I then became extremely passionate about learning what went wrong and learning about love and learning about relationship, which led me to learn about emotions and learn about communication. And before I knew it, I was kind of addicted to uh, emotional development, personal growth, mind-body connection. Uh, and before, uh, like within a year, I'd lost a hundred pounds. I was dating again with confidence and with enthusiasm, much, you know, women who I thought were quote unquote out of my league. Um, and life started to turn around. So that is really the seed that showed me I got to help other guys. If it's this easy to apply information that's out there in the world to change our lives, then I've got to use my experience and my story to help others. Took me a couple of years, but I kind of closed up shop on my retail career and I started training myself to coach and getting into men's personal development. Uh, and a couple of years later, I jumped and I, I started Drop the Armor Wellness to do work around men's health and men's emotional development. And now about five years later, I'm pretty lit up because I'm truly living the life I love. I get to work for myself and I uh, absolutely get to be creative every day. And I'm in a really beautiful relationship and I've lost about 150 pounds and have now kept it off for seven years. So that is my story of how I got here and why I'm lit up about supporting other men in creating what they want when it comes to love, when it comes to their bodies, when it comes to their, their career, but really just their, their, their whole life, their, their relationships, their purpose, their experience of the body, et cetera. Wow. Um, so through this process, um, what you're kind of describing sounds like some confidence uh, was restored via, it, it, I, and that's what I'm curious about. Was it just from the weight loss or was there something else that you tapped into? Like, how did you, how did you find that courage to kind of be who you are? Right. Right. Well, you know, I, in many ways I, I got lucky. Like I said, I, I really saw this crossroads. It was almost like the pain of that marriage falling apart at the same time that I was, you know, I didn't mention I was going through some health crisis with kidney stones, multiple I had to have surgery, surgeries for in, in that year. Uh, I realized my, my career was stagnant. It was almost like hitting that to me was a, my version of a rock bottom. And I remember really looking at all of a sudden this idea that wait a second, in my personal life, I just let everything happen to me. I don't take responsibility. I don't create. I'm, I don't hold myself accountable. I don't believe I can change. But I had been successful in a career, and that career really was all about making sure that we took full responsibility for the experience that people had in our stores, whether it be my employees, whether it be my clients. And it was almost like I, could, I needed to apply this professional mindset to my personal life. So, so that was part of it. What happened was I realized I was making choices that kept me stuck in my personal life, that kept me in a, a really a, a kind of a toxic environment that I'd created. Whereas in my professional life, I truly believed that anything was possible. I truly believed that we had to take responsibility. We had to stay positive. We had to work on our mindset. We had to work on our language. And so it was almost like a light bulb went off in my mind. What really changed everything was I started working on understanding my nervous system as a more highly sensitive person, as they might call us. And uh, I started understanding that we can actually control our responses and reactions to our emotions. 
And of course I signed up and started working with like uh, dating coaches and doing online programs with fitness gurus and reading books about men and relationship. And, and essentially what built confidence wasn't losing weight. What built confidence was actually applying the things I was learning. Like anything I learned, I took seriously. And then I'd just apply it the next day. I would try it, whether it be like some workout program, whether it be something about how to feel more confident with women that I read in a book or, or it was in a program. I just applied and applied and applied. So this experience of, of realizing, you know, all these ideas and all these concepts and all these practices, they actually work. The momentum just started building and that, I that lost, funny. I, yeah, and I lost the weight because of that, because I could see a new possibility for my life that I never saw before. And then it was just a matter of applying, but it was really about changing my relationship to my nervous system, my emotions and understanding my beliefs were at the core of everything I did. And they were based in scarcity and fear, not love and abundance, you know? I, so, I like that. that and I like <laughs> that you kind of drew the connection that, you know, I think a lot of people might be listening and think, oh, I have to lose weight in order to, to get to that self. And, and that's not the case. I, I think that it really is an inside out thing. And I know many people who have reached their fitness goals and are still very much struggling with their confidence um, and their outward expression of themselves because they didn't do the inner work that was involved. I mean, it, you know, it's, I do believe that when we are working on ourselves physically, you know, um, I know for myself, hiking, uh, yoga, mm -hmm. all these different, you know, fabulous things I do, jogging, whatever, that I do uh, naturally kind of work on my mental space while I'm in that fitness realm. Um, but if we don't really, if we don't really do that, if we are, if we're working out to silence our inner self rather than to face our inner self, I don't think we reach that level of confidence that you're describing. So I think that's a really important point that you make. I mean, I'm not saying there's not many times where, Hey, I'm having a really crappy day and I go for a hike and bust it out to try to calm my central nervous system down to oh, silence yeah. everything that's happening. That's different than what I'm describing. So I hope people don't get confused by that. Um, <laughs> But I mean, showing up on a day to day in a way where you're, uh, you know, because I do think that health and fitness can become um, an addiction of different type, you know, so we may transfer the beer for working out in the gym. But if we're not doing the inner work, it's it it's just transferring that addiction. So I, I like what you're describing there. I really do. And I think the other thing that's probably important for a lot of our, you know, majority of female listeners, as you describe, is that. Um, I, I think as women, we often think it's only us, you know, like, like right. men just, they get to get fat and ugly and lazy and what, whatever nasty terms we're going to describe and mm. that they get to do that, but we have to keep ourselves up and this and that. And I think it's important to realize that men have that really terrible, you know, negative narrative too. They, they, they can have that as well. I, I think that, um, you know, maybe our culture has made it a little bit more difficult on women in the way of, you know, beauty magazines and beauty products and things like that. But it doesn't mean that men don't have those thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We, we are human at the end of the day. So first of all, I want to validate what you said. It was really about transforming the internal beliefs and transforming my relationship to my emotions that helped me to lose the weight. And, and it, and it was really about just, committing to practices, committing to caring for myself, 
I never did any crazy, you know, P90X or, you know, primal, primal diets. Or I just decided, you know what, I can learn how to, how to understand nutritional more of the body more. I could exercise daily. And so you're right. That was really it for me. So I want to validate that. And I also want to validate the paradox that you brought up, which was that, you know what, we can't separate these things. Sometimes when I'm feeling a crap, terrible as well. Movement is the thing that I need to get back in the game. Go for a run, go for a hike. You know, like even I have a kettlebell that I just, I swing around for, you know, I do a hundred, hundred swings. It's like, it takes three minutes and it brings energy back into our system. It changes our physiology, but you're right. It can't be that one tool. We're, we're interconnected beings, our mind, our body, our spirit, or what I often say is head, heart, guts are all aligned. So they, they interconnect and they play with each other. We can't just do one or the other, in my opinion. Um, and we need to make the, the emotional self-care exercises and practices just as powerful and just as important as our physical self-care practices. So, and yes, men do suffer with really challenging beliefs around body image and really hard experiences around lovability and really challenging experiences around their own sexuality. It's something that's not talked about often, but it's really pervasive. I think the difference, the difference is that, you know, women are so oppressed in so many ways that any internal struggle has been amplified to create more of that oppressed feeling or that oppressed experience where men, you know, we've been, we've not quite been oppressed. We've been repressed, but we haven't quite been oppressed in the same way. So they manifest differently in the way it looks culturally but yeah, I, I work with dudes who actually look great. If I'll be honest, I probably uh, am wanting their body and they, they, we have to work on their challenges with body image or their, their struggles with sugar, even though they're working out a bunch. So they don't look like they have that problem or even if they look great, but they only, they feel like they've got the extra 10 pounds. We're always working on that stuff too. Yeah. I, I, I think that's incredibly interesting and I can relate to that in my own childhood past. I used, uh, you know, I kind of struggled, I'm not kind of, I very much struggled with anorexia um, in college when I was 19, mm. um, so much, in fact, that I was actually hospitalized for it. And so I can relate to that sense of everybody saying, you look fine, and it's not about the way you look at all. It's got nothing to do with that. But one of the dangers that I've been seeing, and you touched on this earlier, is, you know, you said that how society looks at, quote, unquote, overweight, fat, heavy people or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I also feel that we're in this dangerous zone of like swinging the other direction, like going to the far end of the pendulum, because mm -hmm. I've been seeing a lot of glorifying of, um, you know, incredibly overweight bodies. And mm -hmm. I got to say, that's dangerous. You know, if you are if your health is at a space where you are carrying that much body fat, it's not good. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, and I, and I think that that's dangerous for us to almost promote that because, you know, we look at, for example, even just COVID and who it targets and mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's, if your immune system and your body isn't healthy and, and I, I mean, I'm not blaming the government, but, you know, when we continue to support um, highly processed foods and fast food yep. and not, you know, healthier food choices and things like that, we're not doing our body and our life a favor, you know, and I don't think it's good that they glorify that in the, in the ways that I've been seeing lately. I mean, I understand that they're trying to say, hey, everybody is, 
everybody is, you know, is perfect and acceptable and all of that. But there is a point in which we can say, I need to do what's best for this gift that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I need to honor this, this portal, you know, this physical body that I've been given. And, um, and I think that, you know, confidence does come from being able to make those healthier choices for ourselves. There's a lot of confidence in not whipping through the McDonald's drive through You know, there's a mm-hmm. lot of confidence in knowing that you can choose better and that you can do better for yourself. Um, so I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I've, but I've been seeing that kind of play out, um, in the last year, year and a half. And I'm, you know, I'm concerned about that. Yeah. That's a real great observation and challenging question. And my thoughts on this are very paradoxical. I do 100% believe that the human animal, if you will, and the human spirit and the human mind and the human body thrive when we do, when we're conscious of our movement, when we're conscious of what we're consuming and when we are doing what we, what we need to, to feel more healthy, to have emotional hormonal regulation and good digestive health and good connection between all the various, you know, neurological activity going on in literally the gut, heart, and the brain, right? The three brains. So I do truly believe that we're better off taking care of ourselves fully. And I do think it becomes somewhat dangerous when very, not, not even the overweight body is glorified, but the behaviors of using food to check out from deeper emotional or spiritual needs is glorified. That to me is the paradox. Part of the paradox too is I truly believe that on a bigger picture, and this is like kind of high level on a bigger picture of cultural perspective, there always needs to be some version of a revolutionary rebellion into a far reaching, maybe out of balance side of the equation for things to come back into balance. Oh, I I like that. I see what you're saying. It's kind of got to swing the other way to find the center. I like that. It'll find center. Yeah, I I truly believe that. You know, and I actually have, uh, it's funny, I have a client who we talk about this a lot um, because he has a hard time fully embracing uh, his his partner's body, right? And so we have these discussions about this, um, and it's a really challenging discussion because I especially think that people who have been challenged with oppression, whether it be overweight people, I do think there's there's oppression around people's body. It's not quite ableism, but it's some version of it related to it. And I do think women especially have been experiencing a lot of oppression for, I don't know, thousands of years. I do think that there's going to be a big fight against that. And there's going to be some under nuanced or some radical versions of the opposite to come back to balance. And I'll give an example, like with myself. So when I was first learning to own that I'm I'm a masculine being and there's power in masculinity, that's not all damaging and harmful. It's not all toxic masculinity. You know, I was constantly picked on and, and uh, put down and made to feel like an, a different, like I'm othered, right. I was othered a lot growing up. And so I didn't feel very masculine, you know, and I had this heavy body, which people like relate to femininity, softness and roundness. And I never thought I could do well with women. There was a period of time, about a year or two, where I went like did a bunch of hyper masculine bullshit and where I. Right, right. So, And I had no confidence that really 
I was a cocky jerk sometimes around women. Right. Now, I've, I've seen that play I've, out in people. Yeah. I know people in my life that, you know, in particular men. But, yeah, I, I know a few people that have done that exact pendulum. I know exactly what you're yeah. describing. And then essentially, it, it, it was almost like I needed a bit of time in that space to realize, well, that's not balanced. That's not who I really am. Let me come back to some middle ground. And I, and I actually think that cultural change happens very similarly. You know, I, I really see, I see organizational change happen very similarly too. You know, when I, with, with the clients I have who are like leadership positions in organizations or in volunteer groups that I, I'm in as well. So I do think it happens and I don't advocate for people going crazy with, with food that will hurt their body, that will hurt their soul or that hurts the planet. I'm not into it. Um, and you know, they got their own journey to figure out, I guess we all do. Uh, you know, and the, one of the things that you're kind of touching on that I really like is, you know, body shaming is just never okay. Like no. I just, that's just not okay. Um, that being said, it, you know, um, I, you know, I grew up in a family where, you know, weight was something that was kind of always, uh, you know, underlying in some, like discussed in some way from a health mm -hmm. standpoint. Um, for various different reasons, not even saying like anybody in our immediate, but, you know, just in general, like it was a topic that came up. Um, and I think that it's important that, uh, that we recognize that it's okay to, so for example, here, I'll just explain it. This is, sorry, I'm struggling to find my words hmm. on this because I'm trying to be mindful of the people in my life that, that listen to this or that could be affected by right. this too. Um, but you know, it's one of those things and I'll just use myself as example. Like if I say, Oh, I'm, you know, God, I need to lose this little whatever. If somebody says, no, you don't, you look great. Uh, that drives me freaking nuts. You know, it's like, I'm telling you that I am uncomfortable with this part of my body. And that's really cool that you're trying to be nice and all, but there's a better way to support people when they say that, because I think that's one of the reasons that people get crazy. Like, yeah. I, <laughs> I think the flip side of it, right. So is like saying, Oh, you look fabulous. Like that high pitch, like, Oh, yeah, right. it just bothers me. So it's like, like yeah, yeah, it's, it's the yeah. other side of the pendulum in some ways of body shaming, you know, like, how about we just say, like, hey, that's cool that you want to work on that. How can I help you? Right? I, like, you know, how about we just acknowledge that this person is saying, I am struggling with this in this way in my life. And I'm, 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 I'm obviously calling out here for, for some sort of validation. Like, how about you say, well, I don't, I don't see it that way. But, but if you want to work on that, I think that's great that you want to improve that. You know what I mean? Like, how about we do that instead? <laughs> I love that um, you brought that up. I love you brought that because we're so used to being gaslit and we gaslit ourselves as a survival mechanism that we try and support other people in a way that's kind of gaslighting. You know, it's kind of, ah, it's not real. That's not true. Like how I mean, I'm with you. And when, when I'm frustrated with something or if I'm in a place of my own shame, which certainly still happens, and someone's like, no, just, it's all good. Cheer up. Like that's, don't be so mean to yourself. I'm literally like, no, I, I'm with you. It doesn't feel right. So I'm totally, if we could share this, cause we talked, you talked about courageous conversation. This is an important communication and relationship skills to be able to say, I hear that you feel that way. And God, that sucks and must be so painful. I think you look good, but if you want to change it, I'm here to support you. You know, it's like, can we learn these? These ways of yes. holding complexity 
of what yes. somebody is wanting and not just telling them like, ah, you're Blow it off. feeling that yes. way. What, why do you feel that way? You look fine, you know? Yes. Or <laughs> the flip side of that, of saying like, yeah, you should lose that. God, right. Yeah, right. You're right. How, wow. That's a lot of beer or whatever, you know? Like, yeah, not yes, that either. Exactly. Uh, like there's some either. balance there. And I've been, you know, during 2020, as all of us have kind of, you know, taken on the 2020, um, I, you know, I've been really trying to do that with my own family and my own friends and, you know, acknowledge like, yeah, we all were not as active as we wanted to be. We all did not do necessarily the water sports or the exercise or the whatever traveling, you know, walking to and from work, whatever that we normally do in 2020. And so, um, you know, I mean, I think that I've been trying to show up in that way. Even my son, you know, he hasn't been at school running around school. And the other day he made a comment and he said something about his buddy, you know, having, not having this or, or whatever. And he just like, I'm talking a tiny little extra bit, but I said, Hey, that, you know, if, if that's something you want to work on, let's pay attention to how often we eat dessert or let's start making our PE a hike every day instead of whatever we were doing. You know what I mean? Like just kind of acknowledging that he's saying, mom, this, this is something that's, that's paining me inside. And if I had just said, no, son, you're perfect. Just the way you are. That would have not validated him in any way. Like he would have just been like, oh, I guess what I feel isn't important. You know, we're saying instead, okay, this is something he's acknowledging. And while my son is by no means, I mean, like literally his whole life, he's been on that scale where the doc, when we went to the doctor's office, they said like, Hey, you need to get some food in this kid. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like he's at the 25th percentile or whatever for weight. Um, you know, he's always been on the far end of that side of the pendulum. So for him to come to kind of middle or plus, you know, middle plus is like, he's, he's recognizing that as something that he's not comfortable with because this isn't the way his body's always looked, you know? So I, I have to acknowledge that for him. I have to acknowledge that he's feeling that and say, what can we do to, to make you feel better about yourself? You know? Yeah, absolutely. Or, or even that's it. Or having compassion and curiosity as well is another thing. Cause I, you know, in that moment I'm imagining if it's a friend of mine, cause I don't have kids yet, but it's a friend of mine. I'm going, so I hear that you feel that way. Like what, uh, what's leading you to, to feel that or think that what's going on? Just trying to like understand more about what's going on for the other person, which is something we don't do. We rush to solve or soothe or fix or deny or argue rather than just getting curious and trying to find out what else is going on for that person. Right. Well, I love that you said hold space for complex conversations or feelings. I mean, that's really what it's about. Like we've, we've been taught to kind of shy away from, from that stuff, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and for good reason. I mean, as a psychotherapist, I can tell you, holding space for complex conversations is a lot more difficult than blowing someone off. You know, I mean, it really is truly. And, and, and I've really had to learn the art of, and in this podcast, I do a lot of talking, but in my therapy practice, I do a lot of silence. You know, I do a lot of nothingness and let people work through their process. All I'm literally doing is holding space for that complexity. And I love that you said that because I think that's something that we all should be practicing in our relationships. We should all be showing up as a psychotherapist for somebody. And that might sound like, Oh, no way too heavy. (laughs) And I'm not trained for that, but you are, you are trained for that. And I think that, um, you describe it so perfectly to say, stop and validate first, 
and then ask a question. That's really all it comes down to, you mm -hmm. know? Absolutely. And I tell this to my couples all the time too, because we're so good at just blowing off, you know, how was your day? Uh, okay, cool. And on to the next conversation. And it's like, whoa, there was a whole opportunity for you to bond and have a like humanistic emotional experience together. Right. <laughs> you just ran off to what's for dinner, you know, <laughs> um, so much room there for, for growth. Um, yeah, I, I think, and I think that, uh, 2020 definitely brought out a lot of these, uh, these weaknesses in our human population, you know? Yeah, it showed, oh, it, it's, this is what my, okay. So my going through that divorce in 2013 was a crisis and crises are never really the underlying challenge, the underlying problem. They're the symptom, right? So What's happening is crises tend to show us all the deeper roots of what isn't working. And 2020 has been a global microscope to show us all the things that we don't necessarily feel are working. I mean, on big levels, like global levels, societal levels, governmental, country levels, healthcare systems, uh, so social systems, right? But especially in our own lives, if we've had a hard time feeling heard, now we don't feel heard times 10. If we have had tough emotional experiences or things aren't happening in the bedroom like we want in our relationship, now it's 10 times amplified because we don't have all the other distractions. We don't have all the places to go. We're, we're kind of, in, in a, you know, we're in a box with our family and with ourselves and with our work. And so we are now amplified and magnified and seeing the things that we can work on. Yeah, absolutely. It's just so spot on. So now's the time. Now's the time mm -hmm. to set an intention and identify, you know, what, what beginnings you want to have in your life. I, I just, I can't say that enough and I totally concur. Um, how can people get a hold of you, Joe, if they're interested in learning more about what you've got going on? Sure, absolutely. You know, one of the things I do want to say is that I know if there's a lot of uh, women listeners or feminine identifying listeners. Uh, I do create, I do have a great community that is for people of all gender identity, uh, Facebook, uh, called Drop the Armor Dojo, which is really literally both men and women and people who identify as non-binary as well in there sharing openly, honestly, vulnerably. We've literally created a safe space where people get to practice building the skill set and the mindset to create the life that lights them up. And so go to Facebook, check out Drop the Armor Dojo, join us in there, regardless of your gender. And some of my favorite clients have come from their partners, their spouses, their sisters, the women in their life pointing them in my direction. So if there's anything you heard here, you thought, yeah, I kind of wish uh, my dude <laughs> could hear some of this, you know, share the podcast with them and people can reach out directly to me. Uh, at joe at dropthearbor.com. But you can also find me on you know, Instagram and Facebook. And I'm on LinkedIn. I don't do as much there. But Joe Bernstein, Joe Bernstein Coaching, just do, you know, Google search. I, I heard a podcast once where a guy said, I have a great website, uh, Google search, type my name in. And so <laughs> you'll, you'll get the buzz, you'll get the BuzzFeed reporter, Joe Bernstein, and then you'll get me. So I'm not the BuzzFeed. That's great. That's great. I love that. I'm, yeah. I might start using that, except my name right. is so difficult to spell that I had to create another website that forwards to my website. 
<laughs> I, I'm not gonna lie, I had to copy and paste it because I was like Michelle, Michelle, Man, like is there three three Michael. L's, two L's, one A? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, nope, that's me. <laughs> so I just say go to bufindhappy.com, and then people are like, just the letter B and the letter U, and I'm like, oh my god, I am so failing at this. <laughs> I suck at this. Um, awesome. Well, I will put everything in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for coming on today, and uh, we really appreciated listening to all the the men's perspective on this uh, sensitive female topic. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time and energy and all the listeners as well, too. Take care. This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. For more inspiration, check out the links.